And we begin Fast Money tonight with another big story out of the White House today, trade war relief. This is what Wall Street had been waiting for. The Dow surging nearly 500 points at the highs, ending up nearly 300 points. As President Trump and President Xi agreed to a 90-day truce, which technically starts on January 1st, and that seemed to be enough for Wall Street, at least for now. For more on what this all means, let's get to Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. for the details. Elon. Well, Melissa, the grand compromise coming out of the G20 is fewer tariffs and more talk. The U.S. has agreed to hold off on raising tariffs to 25 percent on $200 billion in Chinese goods. Those are going to stay at 10 percent while the two sides keep talking. Now, the Chinese have 90 days to come up with major concessions on issues such as forced technology transfers, IP theft and other issues. That countdown clock starts on January 1st. They put on the table an offer of, of over $1.2 trillion in additional commitments, but the details of that still need to be negotiated. But these, these are big numbers. But I want to emphasize, this isn't just about buying things. This is about opening up markets to U.S. companies and protecting U.S. technology. Those are very important structural issues to the president. Now, that was Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin speaking on CNBC earlier today. Still a lot of questions, though, over exactly what was agreed to. President Trump had tweeted that China would get rid of its tariffs on U.S. autos. However, uh, the White House said that that could actually start today. But China made no mention of getting rid of those tariffs on U.S. autos in its official statements. Meanwhile, the sleeper issue could wind up being the U.S. MCA. On the plane back from Argentina, President Trump said that he would withdraw from NAFTA in order to force a vote on the USMCA in Congress. Melissa, Trump needs to give written notice to both Canada and Mexico in order to pull out of the deal. He would have to give that notice six months in advance of any withdrawal. We'll let you know if we see any sort of official statement, Melissa. Back over to you. Elon, there's also some more confusion regarding the differences in the Chinese statement and, and what the U.S. has said, and even differences within the administration from the statement that was initially given and what Larry Kudlow, for instance, said on a conference call with reporters. For instance, on the amount of, of goods that China would purchase from the United States, in the Chinese statement, there's no mention of a, a dollar amount. And Larry Kudlow seemed to say that, that there was a ballpark trillion-dollar figure with no time frame. I mean, it's interesting how how some of these details just there really aren't details at all. Well, there are certainly different interpretations then of what was agreed to. You heard also Secretary Mnuchin saying that on our air, that $1.2 trillion number. Also, we heard from Peter Navarro, who said that 142 separate points were brought by the U.S. Um, and that China agreed to many of them. Uh, so as we sort of sort out exactly what the particulars of this arrangement are, I think that's going to be what's critical going forward. All along, it seems like both China and the U.S. have been operating from different playbooks. We'll see if now they are on the same page, if now they can come to an agreement within these next 90 days, or if the two sides keep talking past each other. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. So Fed fears and trade woes seem to be in the rearview mirror, at least for now. Is the year-end rally back on? Is Santa Claus coming to town? Oh, God, no. Uh, how many, what do we got? How many, what's today? Actually, I don't know. I lost count. The, the, the don't go Grinch third, on us now, guys. It's a happy third, day. Yeah, Come on. It's early, in the, it's early in the Christmas season. You can get a little, What you know, day is Christmas is coming though. to town. It's on a Tuesday. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's on the 25th. So. It's a Santa Claus rally on. So last week, for most of the week, we said, look, 
President Trump is, is laser focused on the stock market going higher. They will come out of this weekend with some sort of handshake, some sort of agree, a deal in principle to move forward. The market would rally on Monday. I bet you, though, if you put a lie detector on Mr. Kudlow or President Trump and asked them what the market would do today, they probably thought it would be a multiple of what we had. Maybe a lot of the rally was done on Thursday and Friday. But to answer your question, you know, short of something disastrous happening, the seasonality suggests market's probably going to continue to grind higher. I, I thought today was uh, a, the base case. I didn't think the market should have rallied. I thought this was base case coming out of it. I thought last week any pop in the market should be sold. We failed right at the 100-day moving average. We failed where we failed October and November. I still think it's a sell. I don't think anything really has changed. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I, I actually am encouraged for the market's sake that you didn't see a 2 to 3% move in the S&P. Uh, I'm very disappointed in the bond market. And if you look at the 10-year, we actually went from 206, 207 to finishing down at 297. 306, 307, finishing down to 297. And you actually had some inversion in the curve from three to five years. I don't want to get too crazy into yield curve dynamics. But the fact that we haven't done that in over a decade is concerning. The, the market reacted today. To me, you take a trade war at least and push it out or take it off the table or give you encouragement that global growth could actually get a boost, and you see this happen to the bond market, it tells me that the market is telling you that we're already concerned about global growth, and this is too little, too late. I think they sold, I'm sorry, I think they sold the, the shorter-term maturities based on risk on, risk on point, and, yeah. and then the longer term because they, they based that off of the Fed moving closer to neutral. Right. So that was why, that's a problem for the overall market. The, twos, tens, three, threes, fives, that's a problem. Right, and that chart that we just showed is a pretty ugly chart in terms of the twos, tens spread. I mean, when you get to a point where it's 14. It's the lowest in 11 and a half years. Right. Karen, it's not good for financials. We saw that in today's action in terms of financials sitting out the rally pretty much, and so did regional banks. I mean, that's got to be concerned. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that might be a little bit more of a technical thing than it's necessarily an indictment on the economy, although I thought that today, as the, mar the market opened much stronger, obviously, yes. and as it became clearer, I think you tweeted something very early this morning that there's a little bit of fuzziness around what the details are. In fact, I, don't, I didn't know that the 90 days started in January 1 until today. Right. Over the, right? We didn't know that over the weekend. So that, that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that they've really made a great deal of progress. Right. But, the auto yeah. tariffs, for one, I mean, there's a difference between the Chinese will roll back probably entirely the auto tariffs versus there actually is no agreement on auto tariffs. I mean, there could be two farther, you know, positions well, on that one issue. Not only that, look, tariffs remain. And, and, and I realize that 10 is not 25, but 10% tariffs and, and the acrimony that we have and the way this has actually led to, uh, you know, at, at least a pushback on trade around the world leaves us to a place where, uh, again, we've got a job number on Friday um, and we've had a Fed that's, that's dialed back the rhetoric. I would argue that that was the bigger part of this move. And we're, you know, we're up 10% on the triple Q's off the lows. Semis have gone up almost 11%. So you've had a very nice move in a short amount of time. Just well, no, you had one more thing. Yeah. Uncertainty remains. You right. know, it's not a certainty, even if it's bad, sure. can give you some floor. Right. We're still in a very uncertain period here. And if one of the concerns in terms of the economic data that we've gone gotten out so far is a slowdown in CapEx spending, for instance, do you think that there's going to be any more certainty to enable companies to say, yeah, I'm going to spend no. on that factory. I'm going to spend on this plant. Whatever it is, hire these people. We're in the same position as we were 20, 48 hours yep. ago. Not for the next three months at least, right? For the next, yeah, that's true. So four. Four, yeah, yeah. effectively four, four months, yeah. that's four, correct, because it starts true. in January. So no, the short answer is, you know, 
But we, none of us, I don't think any of us thought last week there was going to be anything substantive come out of this. We all said that the optics of it would get a market rally on Monday. And here we are. Again, I thought the, the rally that we saw overnight and early this morning would hold. It didn't. I don't know what it means. Maybe a lot of the rally was taken up on Thursday and Friday ahead of this. With that said, now you have a Fed that's probably backing off a little. Whether we're reading it rightly or wrongly doesn't matter. That's what the market's interpretation is. And now you're giving yourself three months. So the seasonality that December brings, maybe some pitfalls, but we probably close a month higher. All right. Our next guest says the rally is back on and Santa Claus is coming to Wall Street. Let's bring in John Stolfis, the chief, uh, chief investment officer over at Oppenheimer. John, great to see you in person. Great to see you as well. Um, so how strong is the Santa Claus rally going to be, you think? Well, I, I, I think we could probably get 7% out of it. 7% mm. from wow. here? Mm. Over, right over, now, yeah. you, you mean in the next month? It's a month? big bag of goodies. From, yeah. from here to the end of the year. Yeah, I think we could. And it doesn't mean it, it's not a straight-up motion. But do you remember October 2014? There was some kind of a dip that occurred. Everybody thought everything was lost. By the end of, the, uh, the, by the end of October 2014, the market had made up where it had been. It was up around 7%. And to the end of the year, it had a nice run. Uh, I, I think we could get it. The reason why is the fundamentals are still good. People are plenty worried. That's a good sign. And there's a real hot fire under the chairs of both President Trump and President Xi because they both recognize the fact that for Xi, it's 2025. He can't really risk hurting that, that image of, of, uh, of uh, made in China in 2025. And for President Trump, he's got a 2020 goal with the election coming up. And I think he wants to move on to other agenda points like infrastructure and health care. So I think we, we, we've got a good chance. So help me think about the 7% yep. rally that's yep. going to happen in the yep. next yep. three weeks or yep. so. Yep. And, and you said it's not going to happen in a straight line up, but it's yeah. really got to happen in a straight line thing, up in order for you to get 7% well, by the end the, of the year. The thing about it is, you know, the way this market is, it, 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 it can be very volatile on a day-to-day basis, but it can be very quick to recuperate. And so I think we've got a real shot at that. I, what I don't does think that my 3,000 target stands anymore. Okay? <laughs> what does that rally look like in terms of the sectors that, that get us up there? I think we got an idea today. What were the best performers? I, I don't agree with energy, but I certainly like technology. And, and uh, I like consumer discretionary. Consumer discretionary is benefiting from higher wages. That are, people feel more confident that they're going to keep their jobs when they have jobs. And technology has just been abused ridiculously since October. If you consider that technology is probably at the point where the automobile was uh, in the early 20th century when the car began replacing the horse. The changes are so dramatic in the way companies deal with other companies, the way they deal with their customers, the way customers deal with companies. And now medicine is around the corner to be distributed, you know, by, by, by smartphones, things like that. There's, there's a lot of stuff happening, and the market's not recognizing it. And so, so, John, though, but when you, when you talk about higher highs, yep. you have divided government, so you don't get the pro-growth, you don't, you don't get regulatory relief, you have higher rates no matter how you slice it, even if you think he's moving slower, I don't think he's moving slower, and you have slower growth. So how do you get higher than what we've seen when the picture has changed dramatically? Well, I, that's, I, I think you're, you're, you're uh, projecting overly dramatic, uh, uh, dramatically. I don't think... I didn't say 7% before I, the okay, end of the year. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to say this. Is, is I don't think what we have is a, is a situation where the fundamentals have changed dramatically. What has changed are people's projections of what's going to happen and how long things are going to stay uncertain. 
and also a projection that things will remain as uncertain, at, at least as uncertain as they are, because the politicians won't get off a dime. But I think they are going to get off a dime because China is not doing well. It's slowing. It's got a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., we've seen some slowing come in, but, it, you know, it's not dramatic. So what happens after the 7% is reached by the end of the year? Oh. Is that your opportunity to sell, or does the market keep going higher? I, I think for traders, it might be a time to take take profits if we get yeah. that uh, looking in, into the first quarter, just because that would be a fairly fast run-up. But if you, if, if, if you look at, at, at that situation, for, for investors, it would probably be a good time to get in now, mm -hmm. ride it, and go into next year with... with, with with an opportunity to see this market continue to, this is a market that has risen for the last nine, half, nine and a half, almost ten years. At, uh, at, uh, it has it has climbed a wall of worry. It has also, though, it 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 has paused at various times. We've seen the economy slow, and people right away start projecting recessions right. and and, and, and uh, a reduction of dramatic reduction of earnings, not related to tax reform, mm -hmm. but just on a fundamental basis. And it doesn't happen. And I think what it is, and, 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 and uh, it, from a fundamental perspective, technology and what the Fed has done have skewed the cycle. So we're in a very wide mid-cycle, maybe towards the end of right. that mid-cycle. But that's good for the market. Okay. John, thanks. Don Stolfes predicting that Santa Claus is, in fact, coming to town with a big, giant bag. of One of my favorite Rankin-Bass of all the Rankin-Bass Which one? Santa Claus coming to town? Absolutely. It's Rankin-Bass. It's only for the deep-cultured folks out there. Anyway. In terms of the sectors that you ride to the end of the year, do you agree with John? i tell you what. I think 7% is after the... 7% we've already had looks very ambitious. I don't want to push back on John's fundamental the thesis. But you are. Um, I, but but I, would, I would just say the places that benefit most from uncertainty for the next four months are the places that were most destroyed by the prospect of trade. So let's go to emerging markets, which today uh, challenged the 100-day for the first time in almost seven and a half months. They're through the 50-day. A lot of technicals, uh, and it's not usually what I would choose to talk about, but have been weighting down some of these other parts of the world. And you really were seeing a breakout. Even before this trade news came out over the weekend, you were seeing that breakout. So I would stay in those trades. Brazil continues to outperform. Uh, and I like the big mega cap China names. Yeah. And Karen, um, in terms of retail, they sort of got to stay in terms of the, the additional tariffs that were going to come in. Right. Does the backdrop look much better right now? It looks somewhat better. I mean, you're talking a name like Coors, which was hit Coors and Tapestry on, on tariffs. And the absence of tariffs is a good thing. Coors is trying to move their production out uh, elsewhere and has been doing that for a while. But uh, I agree with, with John, though, on the, the strength of the U.S. consumer. I think we'll still have a, we'll have a good holiday. All right. Coming up, another trade war winner. Check out shares of Nike surging in the past week, and Citigroup is calling it the top pick of 2019. But do the traders agree? Plus, if you don't trust the bounce today, the chartmaster says there is one group of stocks that could help you beat the market into year end. He will give us the names and lay out the charts. And later, Big Tobacco is targeting Big Pot. Altria reportedly in talks with at least one cannabis company. A top analyst will tell us if a flurry of deals is coming and who could be the big winners. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Nike picking up steam today, jumping 4%, the second best Dow performer, enjoying some trade war relief and Citigroup naming the stock its best idea for 2019. The bank saying continuing strength in Nike's global growth story is a catalyst for more gains. It also believes the stock now deserves a premium multiple. Shares of Nike are up 25% this year. 
That's a big gain so far, Tim. It's, it's a very big gain. It, it gave some back, and I think it's regrouping for another run at those numbers. Look, the momentum in North America is there. Innovation is now back into this brand. And the fact that actually the macro in China and across Europe is something that, at least for now, continues to be a tailwind for these brands. I think Nike should be trading at a premium. I continue to like it over Adidas uh, and, and you know even the, some of the other names in the space. So I would stay along the trade. So just on a technical basis, when you see the high from a couple of months ago to the low recently, and you get this Fibonacci retracement back, Mm-hmm. You want to sell it at the 50 or the 618. That's right where it is right now. So I'd be a seller of it just purely on technical reasons. Reports on December 20th. I understand what Steve's saying. I think it's going to rally in earnings. By the way, it does get a premium multiple. I think it's trading close to 25 times yep. next year. So that's a big multiple. However, given everything, you can grow into that multiple. So I do think, although it might stall here, I think that it continues to rally into December 20th earnings release. I think Foot Locker's been an easier way to play, a cheaper way for sure. They are both competitors and they work together. I mean, the biggest, they're the biggest supplier to Foot Locker. Foot Locker 12 times to me is more interesting. 12 times versus 25 times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, but granted, the power she's not brand, saying this, I totally but understand. they're totally different businesses. They are different. I mean, well, they're not in totally different well, businesses. Okay, right. We are talking about sneakers. But, but again, yeah. Nike is the manufacturer, and they have yeah. direct-to-consumer, or they can go through their normal right. distribution outlets. And I agree with Karen that, I mean, we thought Foot Locker was being priced as if they were going out of business. They're clearly not. All right. Coming up, the chase for yields is on as investors dive into dividends. The chart master will be here to tell us which names could take your portfolio higher. Plus, check out shares of Kronos soaring more than 10% today as reports that it could be a possible takeout target for big tobacco. A top analyst tells us just how likely a deal really is and who could be the next target. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. As the markets grind higher, some high dividend stocks are also coming back in vogue as the chase for yield is back on. Dom Chu is back at headquarters to break it all down. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, so far this quarter, traders have been dealing with a lot more volatility than they've been used to for a while now. And downside volatility has put many value-oriented stocks, industries, and sectors back into focus. Those are the stocks that really haven't gotten a lot of love or attention for the past few years. And dividend payers have fallen into that discussion. But as markets have fallen, at least some investors have turned towards these higher relative dividend plays. Just look at the S&P 500 Spider High Dividend ETF, that ticker SPYD. It's a fund that invests in high dividend paying stocks within the S&P. Since the end of September, the fund has gained just shy of a percent. Modest for sure. But look at its big cousin, the Spider S&P 500 overall ETF, that ticker SPY, which is down over 4% in that same time span. That trend has played out as investors have gotten more defensive and less focused on momentum-based stocks like those in tech and communication services. You've got utilities, real estate, and consumer staples. They've been the three best-performing sectors on a quarter-to-date basis, while energy, tech, and consumer discretionary have been the worst. That also means that the relative valuation of those bigger dividend-paying sectors has gotten more stretched. Just take a look at the consumer staple sector, which now trades at around 18 and a half times expected next year's earnings. Compare that to the tech sector, which now trades at around 16 and a half times forward earnings, and the overall S&P, which trades at roughly 
15.8 times forward P.E. So, Melissa, it's not to say that dividend payers are a crowded trade, but they've definitely been on a magnet, if you will, for investor money during that recent market turmoil. Back over to you guys. All right. Thank you, Dom. Dom to you in the newsroom. Well, our next guest says there are a few high dividend names that could help you pump up your portfolio into your end. The chart master, Carter Worth, is over at the plasma to break it all down. Hey, Carter. Hey, thanks. So uh, I just thought we'd look at some sort of really long-term charts and then focus on two names, uh, one quite good, one bad, but staying away from utilities and REITs as picks because it's obvious, yes? Uh, I like them both. So this is since the 1990 recession, a 28-year chart, and we all know the importance of compounding. You've got the S&P here, and you've got the total return with dividends reinvested, basically a double. Now, what if I add the following? Now, take a look. You've got here the S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats Index, I mean, well-established old-line companies that have paid quarterly dividends on a regular basis and make every attempt to raise those dividends. And, of course, this really speaks to the power of total return and yield. Um, with that, let's look at a few things that are uh, sort of obvious here. Top chart is the utilities over the past two years, and the bottom chart is relative performance. Obviously, in a, in a bullish phase, a defensive area like this will underperform. But what has happened of late, and, and everybody knows it, is that the utilities for the first time have moved above the downtrend line that's been in effect the past two years. That's a very important development. You also have what I would call a well-defined head and shoulders bottom, and the bet here is that this is going to continue to outperform. And then finally, when the market and utilities were coming off in October, we know that the relative performance, which is opportunity cost, was straight up ideal. So it's the same for REITs. We can do the same chart, put in the same line, but the principle is in effect. As this is selling off, and that's the important thing, and it sells off with the market in general, and it's all about opportunity, it is going straight up relative. And also, again, we are above the downtrend line, and that's key. All right, two stocks. Cisco. I might have three on here. We'll see. Cisco, you know, big tech is overdone. This is sleepy tech, old tech. And what I think you've got here is a fairly well-defined set of tops, and this stock is toying with the prospects of breaking out above those highs. I like this a lot. I think it's both offensive and defensive. Pepsi. You can draw the lines many ways. Some people like to call it head and shoulders. Some people like to call it cup and handle. But again, you've got the circumstance where well-defined tops at a common level, and the bet is that we're going to exceed those tops, break out, relative performance is tremendous, and so forth. And then finally, one that's tempting. It's got the highest yield of this basket, 4.5%, but it's not tempting at all. There's something very, very wrong. In fact, I know some people think they're ultimately going to cut the dividend and that this thing is a classic break in trend. It has all the look of a top. And if they cut the dividend, listen, uh, not good, very, very bad. Carter, come on over. Thank you. Stephanie will bring the chair in. You think Stephanie. maybe in 2019 we can get back to when you... When you Zero welcome, chance. Zero Thank chance. You. Zero chance. What did I say? Did I say not zero? you. It's yeah. just no, I'm going to ask if you come over to the desk. Mel's in charge. For Carter, guys get for used Carter to that. it's a slam dunk that he comes over. Okay, so Carter, does it say anything about the broader markets if you're predicting that real estate and utilities, those are the sectors that are going to well, outperform relative? Well, so what we know is right there, as something ages, you first get bifurcation, right? In the U.S. market, we know that financials have never 
been improved all year. We know industrials have rolled, materials. As the market kept going higher, crowding into fewer and fewer idiosyncratic growth names, whether it's an ISRG doing robots in the operating room or a Microsoft. And then one at a time, they've taken those out. And the final part of that is people acting very defensively. So you have people crowding into Coke and Pepsi, Church and Dwight, Clorox, in addition to utilities and REITs. And these are companies, in many cases, which are not good valuation uh, and don't offer great growth spots. Growth potential. It's simply a I have no other choice kind of posture. And often it's not that unwise to do. Broader market CBW, today's price action, obviously something could happen tomorrow, we could be up again. But did today's price action give you pause at all? Should we have held the earlier gains? Did today tell you anything? I think it was very sloppy. So at one point we know that the Russell was negative on the day, the transports were negative on the day. We know the BKX was negative on the day at one point. And there's something that's awfully um, impetuous and euphoric about a gap. There was actually a gap in the futures. That's exceedingly rare. Something that trades almost 24-7, it's very hard to get a gap. That gap is very likely to be filled. And then there's also this. Remember the, the Monday, that October 29th, that low? We ricocheted, right, about seven sessions from 26.03 to about 28.15. Mm-hmm. And then we gave it all back. This ricochet looks awfully similar to that prior ricochet. I just don't think it's got legs. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton, thank you. Cornerstone Macro. On the that, that's course. right where we stopped at the 100-day moving average, which is 28.15, let's call it. And that's where we stopped on October 17th and on November 7th or 8th, both of the 7th and the 8th. That's where you're running to resistance. I think better risk-reward is to take profits here, sell pops. Still ahead, this semi-stock is up a whopping 40% this year. And Guy here says this could be just the start of a bigger breakout. He will give us... It's fast pitch. Plus, it's a crazy day for cannabis as deal talk and short sellers send the stocks in different directions. We'll tell you who the big winners and losers really are. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a market flash on Cirrus Logic. It's down in the after hour session. Let's get to Eric Chemi in the newsroom with the details. Eric. Melissa, the stock Cirrus Logic down as much as 10% after hours. Now it's down around 5% or so. The, st- the company is saying that it is reducing its expected revenue for the third quarter from $300 million to $340 million. That's down from the previous forecast of $360 to $400 million. That's due to weakness in the smartphone market. And the stock's already been down about 11% in the last four weeks. Again, last month, Corvo. They were an Apple supplier. They slashed their third quarter guidance. Lumentum cut its outlook last month. So this is just another one of these smartphone suppliers cutting their guidance because of the weakness in this smartphone market. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Eric, thank you. Eric Chemi in the newsroom. Guy, you're pointing out that this is not the first time that Cirrus had cut. No, they reported earnings. I think it was November 1st. I'm sure somebody will check. But they took then revenue guidance of about $420 million down down to about $360 million. Now they took that $360 down between $300 and I think $340. I mean, they cut revenue guidance by some 20%. I'm surprised the stock's not down more than it is. Maybe the fact that it's been going basically lower for the last couple of months is buffering some of this. Now, people will say, is Apple going to get hit on the back of that? Question yeah. is, did Apple already get hit leading up to this? That's really what you have to decide well, for yourself. I think it may have. That's the question. But I mean, for them to come out and cut guidance just after a month, right, of after cutting guidance, it tells you that maybe the smartphone market got materially weaker in that time frame, which is what I would be concerned if I were an Apple shareholder. Right. That somehow the latest data points are indicating that there's continuing weakness in this market. Yeah, although it's not, it really hasn't moved very much in the aftermarket. Apple. Apple. Yeah, Apple has. That's true. I don't know. So maybe to Guy's point, it's already, it, pessimism, definitely there was a cloud over Apple. But it sold down to 170 and it popped to 184 on this euphoria with, yeah, with trade and the Fed. 
Totally get it. So, so I think this, you could have that risk if the market doesn't hold in. You wind up getting selling tech again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You could revisit the lows again in Apple. That's kind of fast pitch. And I think a guy here has a fast pitch. Oh, why not? Uh, yeah, no. stock, speaking of which. I'm just going to stroll on over. Saunter. You know, a lot of companies start with letter A, and then obviously you get to the end of the alphabet, and what are you left with? Tim, help me out. What are you left Z? with? Z. Yeah. Z, My but man. you know what? Since I can't think of anything good in the Z world, I'm going to give you something in the X world, and okay. I'm going to pitch Xilinx. And you say, wait a <laughs> second. Wait a um, second, guy. This stock has gone from 70 to 95 in a straight line from the middle of November. That's correct. But you know what? Think about it where a lot of chip stocks were getting bludgeoned over that period of time. Here's a stock that actually went higher. That, in my world, is a bit of a tell. AI, all the rage in 2019. I think it will be. Field programmable gate array. Don't ask me what it means, but it basically means instead of the chips being programmed in the manufacturing plant, they get manufactured, they get programmed on site. Internet of Things, AI, that's all anybody's going to be talking about in 2019, and Xilinx is on the top of that food chain. And last, although I generally don't like to say this, it is a possible takeover candidate. Now, remember Broadcom, Qualcomm? Broadcom is sort of the acquire of for the ages. Well, that deal fell through. I wouldn't be surprised with a $23, $24 billion market cap that Xilinx becomes attractive. Now, the smart question will be, and somebody's going to ask, valuation is ridiculous. And it is. At 26 times forward earnings, it's expensive. The real issue is, though, are they going to grow into that multiple, sort of like NVIDIA did until recently over the last 18 months? I think they're in the right space at the right time. Guy, are we finding AI to be priced in like every other part of the semi or the chip space? And I think it's going to be a disappointment. You, you know what, Tim? That's a very good chance. Listen, I know everybody's talking about it. that's been the rage, Internet of Things, AI. But the question really comes down to, again, have, they're the first movers in this space. And if they have the advantage of being there, and I think they do. I think, listen, at 26 times forward earnings, you could easily make the argument that all the good news in AI is priced in. I would push back and say... I think there's more good news ahead. That's what makes markets, I guess. No more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Guy's pitch on Xilinx? Steve Grasso, what do you say? I say buy. It's on a relative basis. It looked like it held in there. You match it up against the S&P. Yes, it moved with it. But to Guy's point, when you have the rest of the space getting demolished and this one hung in there, that should tell you something. Buy. Karen. Yes. No deal for me if we're playing that again. Too expensive, (laughs) even to itself. Hmm. General and to itself. I'm throwing a Scrooge at Guy. I'm sorry, buddy. Bah humbug. Not buying. Scrooge, Scrooge. They're all the same. <laughs> negative. All right. Well, the desk has spoken. But you at home have an opportunity to buy or sell Guy's pitch. Head over to our Twitter account at CNBC Fast Money and vote right now. We will reveal the results at the end of the show. Plus, check out shares of Kronos. Soaring today in reports, tobacco giant Altria could be targeting the stock. What does it mean for the cannabis craze? A top analyst will weigh in. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a red-hot day for pot stocks, seeing wild swings thanks to some deal talk and a big bet against the cannabis space. Aditi Royce in San Francisco to break it down. Aditi. 
Hi, Melissa. Boy, was it a wild day for some cannabis stocks with companies making moves in both directions. Let's start with the Kronos Group. The company's shares soared, ending the regular session up 11 percent after reports of a possible deal with Marlboro cigarette maker Altria. CNBC has learned that Altria is in early stage talks to acquire the Canadian cannabis producer, according to a personal person familiar with the matter. The source also says Kronos has not agreed to any deal and there is no certainty it will do so. The company's stock was at first halted upon the initial report before resuming trading. Then Tilray shares also spiking upon a Financial Times report that the cannabis company is also in talks with Altria. Tilray declined to comment on the story. We've also reported that Altria is in talks with e-cigarette company Juul. The deal talks come as the tobacco industry is under a whole lot of pressure with cigarette smoking on the decline in the U.S. Meantime, shares of Afria plummeting more than 23 percent in the regular session after quintessential capital management and Hindenburg Research issued a note calling the company the black hole. Quintessential said it opened a short position on the stock, alleging a network of insiders at the company diverts funds away from shareholders into overvalued investments. And to that, in a statement, Afria calls those allegations false and defamatory. It also added the company is pursuing all legal options against Quintessential Capital. You may remember that Afria was also reported to have been in talks with Altria earlier this year. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Aditi Roy. For more on what an Altria Kronos deal or Altria Tilray deal could mean for big tobacco and ca- cannabis, let's bring in Stiefel's food and tobacco analyst, Chris Groey. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. What's your view of an Altria acquisition of one of these two companies? And, and I ask you this because the sizes of these companies are very different. And we're talking about Kronos with a $2 billion market cap even after the rise in today's session. And Tilray is closer to, to $10 billion. So when it comes to making a foray into cannabis, these are very different size bets. No doubt. And while the company can afford it with that balance sheet they have with plenty of capacity to buy the business, um, I think that Altria, given the fact that this is a new category for them and one where you know they bring a certain amount of expertise, obviously in the U.S., not so much in Canada, I believe they'd be looking at a smaller investment or looking at the smaller company, say Kronos, that they could learn with and then utilize you know, potentially in the future if this ever will get legalized in the U.S. Um, in terms of how you view a potential deal like this, I mean, do you think, oh, well, Altria's got the regulatory um, aspect of this covered in terms of, you know, g- getting approval for various things in, in various states, and so it could sort of lend its expertise and, and help facilitate the legalization of cannabis in the U.S., and therefore it's a, it's a better investment, or could this actually work even if, if cannabis in the U.S. is not federally legal? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not an expert on Kronos, but I know sure. enough about it to say that you know there's obviously a much there's a global opportunity with that company. Um, the problem here, of course, Altria being a U.S. only company, does not have that global you know uh, scale or expertise to you know assist Kronos in any kind of global development there. But I do think it'd be more of an opportunity around the potential future development of the U.S. market um, if it would ever be legalized in the U.S., whether it be you know federal legalization or the States Act, whatever is you know, the, the, the method of legalization, I believe that would be ultimately Altria's, you know, uh, reason for taking a stake in this company here and learning about the market in advance of any potential future legalization. Does this tell us, I mean, in terms of the reports last week that Altria could be in talks to buy a large stake in e-cigarette maker Juul, plus these reports, that Altria is really actively looking at a way to hedge what may be a, a declining, sharply declining core business in tobacco in the United States? 
Yes, so there's, uh, it's a good question. And I would just say that there's been, you know, obviously FDA has regulated this tobacco industry since 2009. Um, and, and while the industry has, you know, done some self-regulation prior to that, it's been a, a much more aggressive regulatory framework. And as you noted, that's one of the things that Altria could bring to the, the party here, if you will, if they were to invest in Kronos or any other company in, in Canada. Um, their lobbying power would be important. Their ability to handle the regulatory you know, side of this and, and help um, steer the regulatory process would be very important for Altria, something that Altria could provide as well. Um, I do think that the, uh, the regulatory side of it, though, is the piece that would make it very difficult for you know, us to see any real near-term opportunity here. This is more of a longer-term opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, nothing very much in the short run, in my opinion. And I think the same goes with, you know, with the potential investment in Juul. You know, this is a category that's fast developing. Right. I, I would note for you that Altria, you know, has an incredible amount of technology, um, reduced risk technology they're trying to bring to the tobacco category. And I think some of that would apply to cannabis as well, actually. I think some of that would actually would apply to Juul. So yeah. they do have, a, you know, an ability to, to actually aid this investment, these investments, um, if they were to make them, and, and utilize some of their own technology and expertise that they could bring to, the, you know, to, to both companies. All right. Chris, thanks for your time. We do appreciate it. Chris Growey. Um, and we got to go to Tim Seymour here. He's long a number of names, also sits on advisory boards for three cannabis stocks. For all of the disclosures, go to fast.cnbc.com. But what do you make of, of this sort of Well, I, I agree that you know, the regulatory competence Altria brings is yeah. actually great. I mean, they, they raised the bar. The FDA is actually comforted by Altria. They've been doing this for a long time. So I, I think they were also sniffing around Afria earlier in the year. So um, what's interesting in the cannabis space is the public-private arbitrage effectively at this point means you almost wonder why you have to go after one of the big publicly traded guys when, in fact, they're trading at five, ten times more than companies of a similar size uh, in the private market. So I, I would just put that out there. I also think they're not going to do anything until it's formally legal. I think that, that the farm bill and hemp being fully national is something that also gives a lot of people a chance to jump in here, someone like Altria with a national footprint, and they can be ready for when things go fully federal. All right, coming up, auto stocks revving their engines today on the trade truce, and traders are betting there is one stock in the group that is heading higher. We'll tell you the name and the trade. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back. American and European automaker stocks flying high as the trade war cools down. The options market is feeling pretty bullish on one auto stock. Let's bring in Mike Coe from San Francisco to break it down. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yes, so this morning we did see about double the average call volume in GM, General Motors. Where we saw a lot of that activity concentrated was in January. One of the larger trades we saw was somebody rolling a previously bullish bet from the December 37 calls to the January 39 calls. They spent about $1.40 for nearly 4,000 of those. So a buyer of those is hoping that it's going to be higher than that $39 strike price by the $1.40 they paid or up above 4040 by January expiration. That would be about 5.5% higher than where the stock closed today. And this is actually a stock that's already been up about 26%. So for people who are thinking about pressing a bullish bet after that bounce on their last earnings, buying calls in January might seem like a good way to play it. And that's where we saw most of the activity. All right, Mike, thank you for that. Michael Coe in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, your vote on Guy's Fast Pitch and the final. Here comes Celine. Big time. You know what song Guy Dami would be listening to over and over again during the 22 days until Christmas? <laughs> all By Myself by Celine Dion, because apparently Guy is all by himself. Almost no one, no one on Twitter thinks this pitch on Xilinx is much of a gift. 
No one means 27%. You get such joy. You really, I mean, you get I tremendous joy. joy. I'm just stating fact here. Final trade time, Tim. Yeah, I think this breakout on emerging markets, again, less Fed and also some China delays. Stay in trade. Karen. Yes, this is Marcus Reynolds from the Volatility Index being down time to start buying some food. You know what a stock that's usually down? GE was up today. GE, maybe peak pessimism? GE, bye. Game. Is this your favorite part of the song, the instrument? That's why I'm letting it go. <laughs> Xylin, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> that does for us here on Fast. Be back here tomorrow at 5. Bitter. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts now.